welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we delve into the issue of the economy, specifically what it means when we see these record low unemployment numbers, why salaries are finally going up, and the important policy being proposed when it comes to overtime pay. Does this policy really help employees in the long run? Well, our guest is going to break that all down, including telling us it's okay to spend money right now and go shopping, that the economy is strong and likely will continue. Our guest is Patrice Anwuka. She is a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. Patrice has worked in the advocacy and communications fields for more than a decade. And prior to joining IWF, she served as the National Spokeswoman and Communications Director at Generation Opportunity. She's also held consulting roles as a speechwriter for United Nations spokesman and managing a student travel program to South Africa. She's a friend. I've known her for a long time, so I'm especially happy to be able to share the next 30 minutes with her. So, Patrice, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Beverly. So I'm excited because I'm a a nerd and a geek to talk about this issue of overtime pay. But before we get into that, I thought it'd be good for you to give the lay of the land of where we are when it comes to the economy in reference to employment. Because I know unemployment, we have some records low, uh, record lows when it comes to especially uh, minorities and women. Um, So can you first give us the lay of the land, especially since I see you on Fox Business all the time talking about these issues? Where are we when it comes to jobs? in the economy? Well, we are in a fantastic place, Beverly. Uh, our labor market is really tight, which means that uh, it, is, it, it is hard to find good workers for the abundance of jobs. Right now, there are seven and a half million unfilled positions in our, in our economy. Uh, our unemployment rate is, I believe, at 3.6% right now, um, which is low. Uh, some economists think we're at full employment, which means everyone who wants to have a job can find one. Uh, and so we're, we see record historic low unemployment for minority groups, for Hispanics, for blacks, for women. Uh, we're seeing that, you know, more people are working today than probably have worked in, in any other time in our history, which speaks to the strength of our economy, but also to the fact that jobs, that, that jobs growth is not slowing down. And that is great if you are working uh, and want to find a better paying job. We've seen wages are beginning to rise as well. But this is also a good time for people who have historically have been unemployed or unemployable. People who have criminal records, for example, are now being considered for positions that they simply would not have uh, been able to obtain in the past. So, so that's really where we're at, a strong, tight jobs market. And I'm glad that you brought up the issue of wages because I feel like there's a misperception that wages haven't gone up. We did get some new numbers in the last jobs report talking about that wages are increasing. Do you think that that is the rate that we're seeing of increase just isn't as high as we would like it? And do you think that wages going up is a direct result of employers struggling to find employees? Well, to the second point, absolutely. Whenever uh, there are fewer employer employees for open positions, it means that employers have to offer more money to be able to obtain those new workers um, or to, to keep good talent as well. So that's part of what's driving the wage growth. Um, when it comes to, you know, the, the fact that wage growth has not been as fast as some would like, well, it certainly uh, 
surpassed inflation and inflation is very low right now. So so we actually have been beating inflation. But over the past year, I think we've seen uh, the wage growth really start to pick up. And what's interesting, it's being it's it's picking up fastest for those in those low income, low wage, low skill positions, uh, which is great because those are folks who need more breathing room in their budget and need to be able to have bigger take home pay. And so let's move on to the issue of of overtime pay. Now, not everybody who works gets the ability to have overtime. So different salaried workers are plenty who are exempt. But when you're talking about people who qualify for overtime pay, first of all, what type of worker is that? And what is the current policy? Because I know that the Trump administration through the Department of Labor is looking at changing some of the rules. So what are the current rules? Who, who is applicable for receiving it? And what are they proposed changing it to? Sure. So right now, there are two types of workers who can receive overtime pay. First are hourly workers, people who are paid by the hour. And if they work more than 40 hours each week, uh, they're considered not exempt from overtime or they, they get to get overtime pay. And for those who don't know, overtime pay is time and a half. So it's not just your regular hourly rate, but it's that times an additional kind of half. So it, it's a nice little bump in your pay. Then you have another group of workers who are salaried uh, employees, salaried workers. These folks have to meet two criteria to, to get um, overtime pay. They have to uh, be earning um, up to $23,660 a year, so a low rate of about twenty-three dollars to $24,000 a year, or uh, their position uh, has work in duties that are not managerial, not advanced, not, not supervisors. Typically, the people who don't get overtime pay tend to be executives, managers, you know, professional people. Um, those folks, though, uh, they, tend, they are exempted from overtime pay. The rest of the folks uh, who are salaried, uh, based on that cap of $23,000, they are they could very well earn overtime pay, but it, it also depends on what their uh, management or their responsibilities are. And I know as somebody who is a small business owner, so I'm self-employed, I don't get overtime pay. <laughs> so I know some people <laughs> listening to this are wondering, okay, on paper, this sounds great. We want people, if they're working more than 40 hours a week, to get overtime pay. Um, so getting into some of the details of this, is this always beneficial to people, even those who are in minimum wage or more low, low paying jobs? Does overtime really benefit them in the long run? Well, I mean, certainly it provides an an immediate bump. So right now, the Trump administration is proposing that 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 salary cap or threshold of folks who can earn it who are salaried would be raised to add another 1.3 million workers uh, to receive overtime. That sounds good, and it's a great initial bump for those folks. But when you consider how employers are going to respond, that is where, uh, in the long term, workers can end up suffering and losing out in different ways. You know, one of the biggest ways is uh, in terms of um, in terms of fewer benefits. Uh, if you are a, a, a if you're if you uh, don't get overtime and suddenly now you do get overtime, well, your employer uh, may they may decide based on that classification change that hey, uh, you get overtime now. I know I can't necessarily continue to give you benefits like uh, paid time off. Uh, dental, vision, medical coverage, disability benefits. So you might end up with folks who have fewer benefits. You have folks who will end up with fewer, um, with, with lower base pay because their employer will say, you know what, I know how much I want to pay you overall. 
seeing that because you have overtime now, I'm going to adjust your base salary, maybe lower it, and then you'll make up that difference in overtime pay. So you'll generally walk away with the same amount. Well, that might sound okay, but if you think about how you negotiate for your next job, you're going to be negotiating based on what that base pay was, not necessarily what your overall pay is. Um, and then uh, flexibility is huge, Beverly. I work from home. Um, I know that there are lots of people who love the flexibility of having a schedule where they can uh, work n not during non-traditional nine to five hours, maybe outside of that time frame. Um, maybe they have a, a, a they, they share their position. Uh, maybe they work remotely. They telecommute. And so what we see is that when you know, overtime gets factored into uh, the equation, some employers will say, because now I have to track all of your hours and I have to know where you're at at all times, I'm not going to take the risk of, of, um, of, of continuing to allow you to be flexible and answer calls on the weekends and do time during off hours, uh, because now I'm going to have to pay you for that overtime. So the loss of flexibility could be a, a really big uh, harmful impact, especially for workers like working moms uh, and dads who really want to have that, be able to say, you know, I, I, can, I can get the job done, but I don't need to get it done within a specific amount of hours or a nine to five time frame. And one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is, is an important aspect of this, is going back to wages, that wages increase when you find employers need to find more workers, that there are jobs that need to be filled and they can't find more workers. So the employer right now has more flexibility of leaving a job if they don't think they're being compensated as they should, moving somewhere else. So do you find that the market tends to handle this better than government intervening? And were you surprised that even though the Trump administration proposed this and it wasn't as high of a threshold as the Obama administration proposed in 2015, but still surprised that Trump, who is a businessman, did propose something. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised in that the administration certainly has done a lot uh, on the, the um, employment front or, or on the, the, the economic front to ensure that wages are rising because there is so much opportunity. I mean, let's just backtrack to the 2017 tax cuts. And immediately, people were getting, employers were offering bonuses, salary increases, new benefits um, as a result. It also stimulated the economy. So we're seeing the economy grow really fast, which is creating jobs. And the more jobs that are created means the higher the salaries and, and wages that employers have to offer so they can get that great talent. Um, and so this, this, I think, was meant to kind of um, thread the needle between, as you recognize, the Obama administration wanted to raise that salary cap uh, to, to twice as high. Uh, and, and so uh, I think you have the Department of Labor uh, secretary saying, hey, this is a way of offering some more additional relief to some of those workers uh, that's not as bad as uh, it could have been under the Obama administration. Uh, so we will see what happens uh, when, this, uh, when this, pro this proposed rule is supposed to be implemented. I do, though, think that there are some unintended consequences. Um, one that I even neglected, but is a very big long-term impact, is the idea of automation. I think everybody's worried right. that robots will replace us. But that is actually a very real concern when the cost of labor or your the salary increases kick in. An employer will say, well, maybe I can suck this up for 
you know, a few months, maybe a year, but five years from now, I may just invest in some sort of um, robot or automation that makes that, that, that eliminates the need for some of those lower skilled, lower paid workers entirely. And so that can lead to the elimination of lots of opportunities for those people who really need opportunity most. Young people who are starting out, uh, immigrants who are new to the country and are getting their foot in the door, you know, generally low skilled, low educated workers. So we've got to be careful about those unintended consequences uh, of policies that that tend to make uh, workers more expensive. And I'm glad that you brought up the issue earlier of just flexibility. So you mentioned that you work from home. I'm self-employed. I work from home. All the women at that work at the Independent Women's Forum telework and work from home. So yeah. I feel like one thing that, that policies these days when it comes to work don't often recognize from a government level is that the way people work today is very different than the way we work 10, even 10 years ago. And so mm-hmm. when we're thinking about government, which traditional government jobs are nine to five, 40 hours a week, when they're thinking at like making up policies for a world that's very different, especially with not just millennials, but even younger generations coming up. Do you find that government is just very out of touch of where young people expect or expect how to work and what they're doing and that these policies don't even really line up? (laughs) Beverly, absolutely. The federal law that governs our labor practices um, is 80 years old, actually 81 years old. Uh, so imagine what the workforce looked like, what the economy looked like 80 years ago. You certainly didn't have as many women working um, as uh, in, in, the, in the labor force. You didn't have working moms in the labor force. Uh, it, it looked very different than, than now. And we still have a lot of those, govern, those laws as well as mindsets that govern um, you know, how we treat workers. And so, yes, I mean, when you when Gallup, uh, the polling company, talked to Americans about flexibility, you know, a surprising I was surprised by the number who would uh, of Americans who would be willing to trade, uh, who would take time, uh, the ability to work from home over a pay raise. Thirty uh, a third, 36 percent of workers said, hey, I would rather work even if part of the time than take a pay raise. So that tells us that young young workers, all workers really are demanding greater flexibility, the ability to work outside of the nine to five hours. That could be weekends. That could be nights. The point is we're about getting the work done. And when you look at the surveys, you find that uh, people who have flexibility are more productive. They actually get more done. Um, Their performance is better. Turnover is lower. Retention rates are higher. So this is fantastic for employers. It's great for employees. And and, and I think our government uh, and our lawmakers need to figure out a way to start incorporating that mindset into the regulations as well as the laws that govern us. I'm heartened that I've seen some laws coming, uh, um, excuse me, bills introduced in Congress that really emphasize flexibility and emphasize, you know, the, the, the ability for you to take things like overtime and turn it into paid time off, you know, to meet the needs of the workers. If, if that is the point of labor laws to meet the needs of the workers, then it may have worked 80 years ago, but they're not working right now. 
And I know for you, I mean, you're a new mom. So not only do you work from home, but you're also taking care of a baby. It's that flexibility. Not only do you love what you do at IWF, but I'm sure it's that flexibility that keeps you coming back to a workplace that gives you so much ability to be a mom and to be a worker. And I think especially when you think about uh, moms out there who still want to be part of the workforce, whether they're a single mom or just a mom who wants to continue in her career, this idea of flexibility becomes so important. You're correct. The, the pay, um, they would rather have the flexibility than the overtime pay, let's say. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, let's talk about women. Women tend to be flexibility maximizers, meaning we want more flexibility in different times of our career. Not surprisingly, because we're raising family, we want to, we want to keep our foot in the workplace and, and in, the, uh, in the labor force, but we also want to know that we can take care of the needs of our families, whereas men tend to be pay maximizers. So they're more willing to take the longer hours, the travel, the dangerous jobs, because they want to get that bigger paycheck. So, you know, and speaking as a flexibility maximizer myself, I made that decision to trade a salary for greater flexibility. And it worked out fantastic for me and my family. And so I think as we as we continue to say, how can we ensure that women are staying in the labor force. We, we, we talk, there are discussions around paid leave, but we have to have those discussions around flexibility because it's going to be, it, it, it makes it easier for a woman to, to stay in the position, maybe even to move up in the ranks if she knows that, that, that she can work off hours, work outside of those traditional nine to five hours, rather than feeling like, you know what, my family is so important, I'm just going to have to drop out of the labor force. It's great to be able to give women the choice. And and I think that's where our, our lawmakers and our laws actually can play a role. And this is, of course, where we get the the myth about the wage gap, um, because women choose often to take lower paying jobs to be able to stay at home um, or work w- because you're a mother. You want to be there more for your children. So maybe you don't work a 48 40 hour week. It's these choices often that women make that make it seem like there's a wage gap. Correct. Absolutely. So Beverly, the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics every year puts out uh, the, the wage gap, which is very much just a raw uh, uh, accounting of the median earnings between men and women. While there are lots of factors, and some of, including the decisions we make about the types of jobs, how many hours we work, I mean, just let's isolate just the number of hours men and women work each week. Men work more hours each day and each week. So in the aggregate, they're going to have bigger earnings. That's not an indication of gender discrimination. That's an indication of choices that men and women are making. And it's not and we shouldn't judge that and say, well, one is better than the other. It's what it's really what about what works for us. And so when we talk about the wage gap and how do we close the wage gap? Lots of factors go into that, and we've got tons of information on IWF.org that explains it. But we have to recognize that women make those choices and, and, are, and very often are happy with those choices. So it shouldn't be viewed negatively as it's just driven by discrimination. In fact, um, when you control for many of the factors, the Bureau of Labor Statistics finds that there is maybe a, a three to five cent difference between what men and women earn. And even that they will not, uh, they cannot say it's definitively due to some sort of gender discrimination. So I, I want folks out there to understand what every time you hear about the equal pay day 
and that women are earning uh, 20 cents less than men as a black female, that I'm earning uh, probably 30 to 40 cents less than a man. Um, there is a lot that goes into that, that data point, and, and we should be very careful to just assume that it is about gender discrimination. And when we do have policies or we do have these narratives out there, of course, the wage gap is, is the most common. I don't think it does anybody, um, it doesn't benefit anybody. It actually does a disservice when you don't fully understand what the job market is like, the choices that people are making. So kind of as we close out today, what would you encourage government to do as they're considering policies for people in the workplace, especially since they often seem to not understand it? Is this a matter of them doing more research on it, bringing more private sector people in to talk through this? And what is the answer to government often not understanding what the private sector goes through day to day? Well, certainly, I think there are lots of voices, uh, including the Independent Women's Forum, that put out inform- that, that, that really look at the data and the numbers and, and also speak to people on the day-to-day basis to understand how do these policies impact them. Uh, and, and so when, we, when policymakers are crafting legislation, uh, they need to be thinking about uh, both the, the immediate uh, benefits that they can see, but also some of those unintended consequences that perhaps other groups will be able to identify those blind spots uh, in, in legislation that can happen. Generally, though, a good rule of thumb is that a one-size-fits-all solution is probably not going to fit everyone and will probably have some spillover effects that will be negative for the very same people that they want to that they want to that they want to help. So, uh, good policymaking has to take all of those into consideration. Uh, but we at the Independent Women's Forum, we try to do our best to really educate on how economic policies, labor policy, uh, really impacts women on a day-to-day basis. And we want women who, especially those who tend to be vulnerable, low-income, low-skilled uh, workers, to be able to uh, obtain as much opportunity as possible. That is not going to come from a government dictate. Very often that's going to come from the private sector. And where it where there are opportunities for government to, you know, remove barriers to opportunity, then that's where that's those are the things we like to highlight as good areas for, for public policy to change. So final question for you. I'm going to ask you to predict a little bit for us, which I'm throwing this curveball at you. So the economy is doing well. We talked about how unemployment is there are record lows going on, especially for women and minorities. What do you foresee? Think about the next six months of this year. Do you think that 2019 is going to continue to be this strong economically? I think 2019 will continue to be strong, provided the Federal Reserve does not uh, raise interest rates. That will certainly uh, encourage borrowers and, and home buyers to get out there into the market and buy. Uh, that is going to be great for anybody who is um, who is thinking of, of, of making really any major purchases. I think consumers, knowing that there's low unemployment and knowing that wages are rising and feeling that, they're continuing to be uh, confident that they can go out and spend and, and buy those summer clothes, take that summer vacation, uh, you know, make the home repairs that they've been that they had put off during the recession. So when you've got strong consumer growth, you've got ho- a strong uh, housing market and a strong labor market. Those are the makings for a very strong economy. We saw that growth hit 3.2%, um, and, and which is fantastic in Q1 of this year. Let's hope that we can continue to see that 3% growth or at least above 2% growth. Because frankly, Beverly, we were told under the previous administration that that was 
the new normal was low, mediocre growth. And that's not good for jobs, for, for, for creating jobs. So I'm pleased to see where we're at. And I hope to see that uh, this continues forward. Well, I hope you're right. And I also want to say that I'm so thankful that you gave us all permission to spend money on clothes and shoes, especially during the summertime. So if people take away one thing from this, Patrice, who understands economics very well, says it's important for us to shop. So that's that's what I'm taking away from this. But Patrice, thank you so much for your insight and your time. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much, Beverly. Well, if you want to hear more about what Patrice has to say, of course, you can find her on Twitter at Patrice Pink File. And of course, she has all of her writings on the Independent Women's Forum blog. So do check her out. And thank you all for checking us out. If you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It definitely helps. And we'd love it if you would share this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. So from all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.